Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Margie Ozimet, mom to two boys, former middle school teacher, homeschooler, and writer. And I'm Heather Kaufman-Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, episode 17. And this is the episode in which we shall dig deep into boogeymen and boogie women, because, you know, that's how we roll, um, from around the world, my favorite. I love it. So for this episode, I read Charlie Hernandez and the League of Shadows and the Red Pyramid, and you read... The Serpent's Secret and Trident. I'm so psyched to hear about all these. This is cool. Um, so what's new? What's happening? We're waiting for a giant snowstorm. But you know what? That's what we do in New England. We just sit around and wait for giant snowstorms. We've got snow and cold here. It's like brutally cold, but at least the sun is shining, which is really unusual in Indiana. So I'm quite happy for that. It is really rare for the sun to shine in the month of February or January out there. We get a lot of sunshine. We're not going to complain, but that's the hardest part about Indiana, living in Indiana. It's just gray until like all of a sudden in March, it's done. Yes. See, we also get snow like until freaking April. That's the thing. That was the one advantage of Indiana, like March comes and spring comes. It's like right. normal. Not here. No, we won't see spring till like my husband was saying that last night. He's like, there's like one day of spring and it's somewhere in the middle of May. <laughs> and then you get like one day of spring and then all of a sudden it turns into summer. I think summer though in New England is like pretty much spring in the rest of the world because it never gets that hot. Yeah, well, we have the in, the in between time when it could be winter, it could be summer, it could be spring, it could be fall. <laughs> it could be all of the above in one day. Yeah, all the seasons in one day. I love the seasons. I don't know that the answer is for me to move somewhere where it's like warm all year long. Even when we lived on the Aegean in Turkey, it's not really warm all year long. We still had seasons there. We didn't have like crunchy leaves and things like that, but it still got really chilly in the winter. It was funny because we were talking to my mother-in-law yesterday on this game. She's like, oh, it's so cold here. And I was like, literally looking at that. We were also watching, there was a Turkish soccer game on. So we have Turkish television as well. As we're talking to her and she's talking about how cold it is there, uh, like the weather report is coming over and I'm doing the math in my head and I'm like, wait a minute, it's like 40 five degrees there you're literally complaining because it's 45 degrees and she's like like the way she's explaining it it was like subarctic like you would yeah. die like what like when we get the polar vortexes you know remember when we did that that one year in indiana and you would throw the water out yes. water froze in midair like that's how she's explaining things and i'm like that's cool we were just talking about that because it's supposed to get that cold this week so we we're like oh i can't wait to do the boiling water experiment it's so fun i think we did it in my science classes like every time we could because it was something weird it is weird to throw a big pot of boiling water up into the air and it just instantly turns into ice. So cool. We don't quite get that one. One of the perks of uh, global warming. (laughs) (laughs) That and the fact that you can like wear your shorts until like October now. (laughs) Yay, that's great. Awesome. Thanks. (laughs) I keep saying, I remember Halloween when I was a kid. It was cold on Halloween because one year my grandma made me this awesome princess dress and I loved it so much, but it was like really sheer and it had like that gold zigzag brick and brack all over it. Oh, down the sleeves. I love Rick Rack. Oh my God, I loved it. And um, it was so cold that Halloween. It was like, I remember the sidewalks were like iced over and stuff and I had to wear a coat over it and I was so sad. That was the worst. But see, I would, my mom, would put my coat under it. And I was like, yo, I'm already a fat kid. Why are you doing this to me? Like she put the coat under the costume. So I'd look at just a little chunkier. And you know what? Nobody wants to give a fat kid candy. Oh, you don't need the king size girl. Come on. But it's my coat. I still say that, but it's not my coat now. It's perimenopause. (laughs) 
<laughs> you can come to our house anytime for Halloween. My husband loves to hand out full size candy. Um, your husband used to deliver it. <laughs> yes, he would drive it across town and deliver it to our house. That's happened a time or two. Thank you. Your husband's also really good at ordering pizza when you're in the backyard, and he's really good at ordering extra cocktails when you keep saying you're leaving. <laughs> Yes. That's his strong suit. Like, oh, we're, we're going to go. Okay. Our sitter's got to go. Okay. Why are there new drinks here? That's his like superpower. Yes. Not that I'm going to complain. <laughs> I'm certainly not complaining about that superpower. Oh, another cocktail? Sure, I'll stay. <laughs> all right. So speaking of cocktails, it's almost Valentine's Day. So we can talk all of the love and things that are happening in these books, shall we? Yeah. There is love in one of mine. Do you have love in yours? Yeah, I do have love in mine. I have a crush. I think it's cute. I have. A, I don't get a lot of crushes in a lot of the books I read. It was cute to have one. That is so funny. Same thing in mine because I thought, oh, yeah, we've read all these middle grade books and there's hardly been any crushes, which I kind of liked. You know, it was kind of a nice break from having the crush thing because I read a lot of YA too. But then I was kind of excited to see it in this book. So, yeah, can't wait. I love how in your spare time you read YA and I read either murder or diet books. <laughs> P.S. Haven't used any of the skills in any of them yet. Just so we know. Here's a funny story, though. My kids were um, going through Netflix. My mom uses our Netflix, too, you know. And they, when it says, this is what you've watched, all these, like, Hallmark movies keep coming up and, like, <laughs> Virgin River, The Kissing Booth, and all these things. And my older son is like, who is watching these? Did you watch this? And I'm like, keep looking. And it keeps going. It's like, cocaine crack the murder of chronicles and he's like oh okay i got it now mom that was mana's like that's what they call their grandma that was mana's and i'm like obviously i'm drugs and murder my mother is hallmark movies <laughs> he's like how are you even related and i'm like that's been the million dollar question for about 48 years <laughs> <laughs> There's, there's no link there, honey. You got to be the opposite of your mom, right? Isn't that the way it goes? Oh, and I take that one seriously. I've done that for my whole life. It's so funny though, because she's so girly girly. And I've always just not been any girly girl. Obviously, I've watched documentaries about the crack epidemic. <laughs> all right. So where should we start? Should we get started on this? Yes. All right. So we're going to dig into our amazing myths. Let's get started. How about we start off with Charlie Hernandez? Oh my God. So this book, P.S., is one of those, I was looking online and I'm like, I want something, no offense. I did read it. My other book is by Rick Reardon. Mm -hmm. But if you look through the mythology, like Rick Reardon has cornered the market on middle grade books and mythology, which is awesome. Love you, Rick. Yes. But I wanted to see, did anybody else tackle this? Like who else is tackling this besides just Rick Reardon and those people that he's sort of like supporting? Right. So I found this one. And I was like, OMG, I don't know anything about the um, Hispanic myths, myths from the Iberian Peninsula. Didn't know anything about that. The writing is so much fun that I got this book and I'm like, oh, okay, well, well, you know, I w I'm not going to lie. I wasn't like, oh, I can't wait to read this. Sometimes you get a book and you're like, oh my God, I can't wait. This sounds so fabulous. I'm like, this sounds okay. I'll check it out. It was fabulous. P.S. It was fabulous. This is one of two. Okay. So there's a two book series. The first book is called Charlie Hernandez and the League of Shadows. And the second one is called Charlie Hernandez. Hernandez and the Castle of Bones. And they're both by Ryan Calejo. And the first book, Charlie Hernandez and the League of Shadows came out in tw late 2018, I October, November. And the second one came out late 2019. So they're really new books. They're really, really new books. And they were so much fun. You fall in love with Charlie Hernandez from the minute that 
he's a dork. He's like this dorky seventh grader, 12 year old, you know, and you just fall in love with this kid. Right at the very beginning, his parents have disappeared. His house is burned down and they can't find a foster home for him. So he's sleeping on a cot in the police station and they're all trying to figure out like what happened. He was out for a bike ride and came back and the house is burned down and his parents have disappeared. And um, so they have to keep him in the police station. And all of a sudden (laughs) he gets this bad headache. He runs to the bathroom and he finds he's sprouted horns. (laughs) Like Awesome. So this is what I thought was like, so hilarious because this is all about he's like I'm undergoing these changes and like it's so funny because I have a seventh grade boy and you know we talked about starter stashes and like stinky pits and these no no this is not the problems that Charlie Hernandez has his are like uh one day he gets the horns and then the horns go away and they find him this foster mother this woman who's willing to take him in but she's really old and kind of weird and she has a house full of dolls and she doesn't really seem like she cares about him he seems to be able to come and go as he pleases which then made perfect sense later on like then you're like oh okay i get it but you don't get that for a long time so he's sitting in class a few days later after he moves into his new home and he lives in her attic and he starts to sprout feathers in the middle of like math class and he's just funny and it's like he goes he's getting caught and he's trying to hide the feathers and he's trying to like he's in Miami so there's no like long sleeve shirts that he can find to put on in the school lost and found so he ends up like wearing this purple ski jacket and everybody's like what is wrong with you and he's like it's like 95 degrees and he's sweating but he's trying to cover his feathers all of this comes around like this is like the first chapter or two all these things start to happen and you're like this is insane he has one thing left from the fire the fire the fire department brought him this locket and this locket survived the fire So he's getting bullied by this, you know, this like angry, I don't know if she's like water polo or one of those kind of players, you know, and one day, and so this other girl comes to sort of protect him. And lo and behold, she's this like cutesy blondie, the, the, his um, lifelong crush. And she's the, also the editor of the school newspaper and the head cheerleader. She's like an all around, you know, tough gal. So she says, I um, can open the locket for you because my parents own this antique store and I know how to do these things. So he opens the locket and they find this map and she's like, well, I opened the locket. I get to go with you to help you find the map. What's on the map? So he's trying to figure out like, how do I get rid of this girl? But yet I don't want to get rid of this girl because she's my lifelong crush. And then he's like, well, you're just, you know, like, is she just in it for the story or what is happening? Anyway, long story short, they start to follow the map and they find themselves in the underworld and she's along for the ride and they start to meet all these ancient myths that his grandmother, his abuela, had told him these stories as a baby, all these stories. So he can get them out of these jams because his grandmother told them in the, you know, like in every myth, there's always somebody that solves the problem. So his grandmother told him all of these as he's like fighting the Kalaka or whatever. He's like, oh, wait, if I did this and this and this, that's how it works. If I trade him this, then that's how it works. And so that's how he gets them out of all these jams. It is so adorable. It is so cute. It is so fast paced. The two of them, like every day, they're, they end up in all these like hilarious spots. Every night they meet up to go. That's why I was like, wait, where's your foster mother? No one seems to care that you, off, you two are off on your bikes every night. And they start to, you know, figure out like, where he is they end up meeting the league of shadows and they think he might be a morphling and the morphling is you know what they what is going to be able to solve the great war between the land of the living and the black hand la mano negra he's trying to basically kill all the living people so that's basically what happens and it is so fun. It is really fun. It's a great book. The only thing I have to say, there's a lot of Spanish in it. And I read a great review of this one woman. She's like, this is such an amazing book, but this is not an amazing book for me to have chosen to read to a bunch of children over Zoom when I don't speak Spanish. 
<laughs> she's like, she's like, I sounded like a fool, but the kids still love the book anyway. But there is a lot of Spanish in it, um, which is great. You know, it's an own voice. It's definitely representation. It is hard though for a struggling reader. It might be hard, you know. In middle schools, when they start to study foreign languages, though, so I suppose it might yeah. come in handy as a way to sort of help reinforce the language you're learning in school. It's a great point. Yeah, a great introduction to the culture, and it's interesting because they do t- they travel all over. You know, like they, they eat a tequila worm and they have to travel, and um, <laughs> they <laughs> they they end up in the Iberian Peninsula. They end up in Spain. They end up in all of these places. So it's really it's really fun. It, you can see sort of how the Hispanic culture draws from so you know it's so heavily from the spanish myths and the in south american myths and folklore and um iberian peninsula and central american folklore and myths it all kind of it all sort of mushes in together that's cool it definitely makes you want to go learn more that's what i thought was really great about it because i'm like there's some really cool myths in this book that i want to know more about and that as a kid i would go find more that sounds so cool oh my gosh it was cool i would i would recommend it i would love to read it like if i were going to teach it i would assign it during october late october early november and and do a whole dia de los muertos lesson with it as well oh yes of course it's all about people trying to get out of the underworld being trapped in the underworld but it talks so much about that sort of weird space between mm-hmm. being and crossing over and you know it's it's really good it's a great book i was so excited once I started reading. I'm like, this is so much better than I was expecting it to be. It's so much fun. That's what it was. It's so much fun. And it's really fast paced. And like, you know, in the Rick Reardon books, they're fast paced as well. Mm -hmm. But it's almost like, and maybe it's just a sign of our COVID times, but they're almost anxiety provoking sometimes. Like I get too like, I'm like, oh, I, I can't deal with this right now. I have to put this down. I need a breather. This one's not because you, he's cracking jokes the whole time. And like at one point he grows a giant lobster claw and like these ridiculous things happen <laughs> to this poor kid. You're cracking up the whole time. You know, like he ends up meeting Ponce de Leon and Ponce de Leon like needs to clean his fingernails and that's all he can think about. And like all these like bizarre things that kind of distract you from sort of that sort of heart racing anxiety that I cannot handle at this point in time <laughs> because I've been quarantined quarantining for so long now. Anxiety is just the norm. (laughs) Right. I'm kind of over it. So yeah, I give it two thumbs up. Wow. Well, I have to say that really segues perfectly into my book because it has super similar themes that are things that you were talking about. Oh, really? Yeah. It's almost exactly the same in a way. So the book that I read was called The Serpent's Secret and it's by um, Sayantani Dasgupta and she's a pediatrician. And so this is a Bengali myth and folklore story. And it also mushes in some scientific space theories, like specifically string theory, which I've always been super fascinated with. So um, I thought that was cool. And even Einstein makes like a surprise appearance in the book, which is sort of strange. Wow. Sort of strange. Kind of caught me off guard a little bit, but it was kind of funny. This is the first of three books. The third one is coming out this year, I think. So this book, the first one came out in 2018. The Serpent Secret is the first one. So that's sort of the introduction to Karamala who is a Jersey girl Yeah, who on her 12th birthday discovers she is a real Indian princess, which is what her parents had been telling her all along, but she thought they were just typical. It's like, oh, you're a princess. Yes, yes. 
That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, she thought that they were just typical overindulgent parents. But yeah, so and it's also kind of an interesting immigrant has a you know immigrant story yeah. in a way because since it starts out in New Jersey with this Indian family uh, before she goes off, but it has almost a similar beginning to what you were saying. But I did want to share this little bit about her family and stuff because I thought it was kind of an interesting take on immigrants. But it says, I guess every kid whose family is from somewhere else thinks their parents are weird. But with mine, it wasn't just their language or their clothes or their food. It was something more. Like my parents never really appreciated this di- the distinctions between fact and fiction, science and mythology, dreams and reality. But it wasn't until that fateful 12th birthday that I really understood why. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, and so then she finds out that she is part of this mythical dream world, basically. And so she comes home on her 12th birthday after school, which is also on Halloween. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> and finds that her parents are missing and the house is empty. It's so weird, really? I know. Yeah, seriously. Oh and the house okay. has been trashed. And so she's not sure what's going on. And so she kind of just sort of goes about like normal. And then she finds a letter that her parents had left her that is very vague and cryptic and she has no idea what it means and then these two boys ring her doorbell and they are brothers and they are dressed in like really fancy Indian costumes it's Halloween so she doesn't think anything of it and they say they're princes and they're there to help her it takes her a while to kind of catch on but then this big monster and I'm not Rakosh, I think is what they call him, comes after her through the kitchen. And so she runs out the front and goes with these boys and they take her into another dimension. And that's where she starts to learn more about who she really is. And she discovers that her parents aren't actually her parents. They had found her and taken care of her. And they were all part of this spell to protect her in New Jersey. And on her 12th birthday is when the spell starts to weaken because it can only last so long. And they knew they weren't sure when the spell was going to end. So they were trying to warn her, but she was being all snippy that day, of course, because she was over her parents being weird. Anyway, so then the spell ends. And so she has to go back. And now she doesn't know where her parents are because they were sort of part of this spell and they've been whisked away. And so she wants to go try to find them. It's just a really cool adventure. I mean, like you were saying, I didn't know anything about Bengali mythology at all. Right. And it is so fascinating. And there's so many different monsters and gods and it's all tied up with the like the universe and all these really cool scientific things that sort of come into play and different dimensions and all this stuff. And and so she basically finds out that she is the daughter of a moon goddess and a serpent demon. Oh, me too. Same Z's. <laughs> <laughs> Convenient. Her sisters. So yeah. So she goes on this big long adventure to save her parents, basically, and also discover who she really is. But it's kind of cool because again, this is another own voice book. And um, I mean, like overall, I really enjoyed it. I felt like a little bit in the middle, it kind of lagged a little bit, but it was still so refreshing and unique and fun. You know, when I read a lot of the reviews about it, like on Goodreads, so many people were saying how important this book was and how they yeah. wish they had had a book like that when they were kids and the representation of it and 
and just the folklore and and having a main character who's an Indian was just so great. And I just think that's so important. Especially when you're an immigrant kid. When you're an immigrant kid, when you're a bicultural kid, especially, like you need to be able to see both sides. And a lot of times the parent that is the immigrant, they don't share their side as much. Well, I think a lot of them too have left their cultures for a reason and they don't want to think about it too much anymore. Or, you know, or they do try to hold on to some traditions, but not all of them. And they right. and they want their kids to be American. So they try not to focus on it too much. And then also there's resistance from the kids because they're trying to grow up. They want to be considered normal in their schools with their friends. And that adds a whole other layer, which this book really does address head on about how this girl felt like she her parents were so weird. And I, I think that's probably a fairly traditional experience. My kids say the same thing about their dad too. Yeah. But the thing too is, you know, uh, if you think about it, a lot of the stories of your culture come from the grandparents. Right. And if that grandparent is geographically separated, which is often generally the case when you're talking about, you know, like bicultural families, Mm -hmm. then how's that happen? Or if there's a language barrier, which is also really common, you know, your, your kid might speak part of that language, but not enough to get the nuances and everything for grandma to feel comfortable passing that story on or whatever. Because I remember hearing my grandmother was the one who told us all the old Irish folk tales. She told us all the old Irish stories and she's the one who taught us how to taught Gaelic and everything else. She was the one who did it. Mm-hmm. My dad didn't have a clue. My parents were like, what? In my family, it was my grandpa who taught us a lot about our Swedish heritage, but he didn't really go into like mythology and folklore that much. It was more just like language and the actual people in our family. Yeah. Um, one thing I also will say about this sort of warrior princess story is I definitely think it's for lower middle grade. Oh, good. Yeah. Which I know there's not a ton of right now with the middle grade stuff, it's a little bit more serious, even though there's sort of like, so she kind of finds these princes handsome and sort of has like innocent crushes kind of on them. It's still everything about her is just right on for the age. You know, and normally in these books, the characters act a little bit older for their age because she's so spot on and the way it's handled. I just feel like eight to 10 year olds would probably appreciate it. I think older kids might find it a little bit too Babyish, Baby-ish yeah, yeah. But that's good because I have to say both of the ones I read were very upper middle grade. They're definitely upper middle grade. I would even say could even read them in high school and still not find anything wrong with them. They just don't have the tropes of YA, right? But they have the reading level, the sentence structure, everything about it. I say is definitely good for older kids. So it's good that that one is a lower one, right? And you know, all the myths and the folklore characters and the worlds are pretty much explained in context pretty well. I'm excited. I love it. I- you know, and it's so interesting because especially in Jersey, there is a massive, there's a massive Indian community in, in Jersey. So I think it's brilliant that it's set there. Oh, yeah. And her parents own a convenience store, which I was kind of- I think is really funny. And like in, like in Edison, the main drive is Mahatma Gandhi Boulevard. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. There you go. And this girl is very American, but that's kind of fun because then she's also learning all of this heritage at the same time the reader is, which is makes it easier on the reader because you're getting everything explained. Yeah. And we talk about that a lot. Like my husband and I talk about that a lot about people that have that both parents are immigrants and have kids that are basically Americanized and how hard that is for them. Hard for the parents, not as much for the kids. And it's it's such a weird dichotomy because for us, it's not either country that we've lived in. We always had somebody as a guide, you know, either he was the one to get us kind of Turkify the kids or is that a term? I'd like to coin that right now. Turkify. Turkify my children. (laughs) 
But it's interesting when you are both immigrants in one country, you got to kind of start from ground zero and it's really hard. Kind of reminds me of like stand up Yumi Chung too, because those parents, when they're both immigrants, seem to rely on the kids a lot to fit into the culture. Yeah. That wasn't so apparent in this Serpent Secret, but I am thinking of other diverse books that we've read where that was more the case. I just love that you can now be a little Indian girl in Edison, New Jersey, and you can find a book that is your mythology. I love that so much. Yeah, so great. I love that you're a Hispanic kid and you can find that too. Absolutely. Yay. It's so nice to finally see people that are just not a bunch of white characters. Oh, yeah. And this one, she had a best friend in the beginning that was white. But other than that, there were no white characters in it. His crush in my book, she was. Oh, okay. Sometimes she was just like so thrown up because everybody would be speaking Spanish around her. She's like, oh my God, please, someone tell me what just happened. What? Tell me what I need to know. And he would sort of translate like the important part. And she'd be like, okay, cool, let's go. She's there for the reader specifically <laughs> who doesn't speak Spanish. Yes, it, she was definitely. So I don't want to spend much time on my second book because I want to spend more time on your second book. And my second book is Everywhere. But I do want to talk about it and I want to say some great stuff about it. Um, I read for my second book, I read The Red Pyramid, which is the first in the Kane Chronicles by Rick Riordan. Mm -hmm. If you're not familiar with Rick Riordan, you are, but you don't even know it. He wrote the Percy Jackson series. That was sort of his first big round at this mythological world. Then came The Red Pyramid and these this series, the Kane Chronicles, are the Egyptian um, mythology. There's also Magnus What's his name? Magnus Chase. Magnus Chase. Thank you. That's another series on the Norse mythology. Let me say that out. <laughs> what he's now done is he supports diverse writers to tell their own stories. So, so then there's the Tristan Strong series, which is the newest one that's come out. And they're all African, Egyptian, and Creole myths all kind of blended into one. Those are really good too. I read the first one. of Basically on all of them, they kind of follow the same trope. It's a kid who figures out he's connected to his mythology. So in this particular book, The Red Pyramid, there's uh, a set of twins. They have a white mother who was from Britain, and then they have an African father. And they just thought they were a couple of biracial kids. But then as things go on, they find out that they were actually descendants of the pharaohs. So it's kind of interesting. It's also very interesting because they are siblings and they, they get split up when their mother dies. One is raised with her white grandparents and Carter takes off with his father, who's an Egyptologist. He's always in Egypt. He's always all over the world doing stuff with, with the father. And it's so interesting because Carter's father has taught him that this is how you survive as a black man in the world. You have to always dress nice. You have to do this. You have to do that. Sadie, however, who's raised by her white grandparents in Britain is this like sassy little punk because she is also blonde and lighter skinned. And she really doesn't get that. Like, I don't understand, like, what's the problem? So it's, it's a really interesting backstory on the whole thing that I thought was really important to the character development and really interesting. Long story short, like I said, I wasn't going to spend much time on this. Basically, Carter... And his father go to see Sadie for the, he gets to see her one time a year and they go, he's taken to the British Museum and he wants to see the Rosetta Stone. Their father ends up blowing up the Rosetta Stone because he's a magician and they don't know that, but he's got ancient Egyptian powers. When he blows the Rosetta Stone up, he sets the god set free. And Set is a really bad guy. He's the guy who in he entombed Osiris, so then Osiris could never get out of the underworld. He's his angry brother, blah, blah, blah. Cain and Abel's story, yep, Seth and Osiris. Yes, so when he released him, then the kids have to find out how to put him back. Set also entombed their father in a sarcophagus, and he disappeared. So the kids are spending the whole book trying to figure out 
how to find their father and how to, oh, save the world. P.S. Got to do that too. Because when you're 12, you can do those things. Uh, the best part, my favorite part of the whole story is they have sort of a keeper and it's Bast, the goddess of cats. You know how I love her. Aww. You know I love her. So Bast keeps them safe because she has nine lives. She can help them. The reason that I had, I, I started reading this to begin with, which it is a tome, P.S. It is a big old book. My son is reading it for homeschool because we were studying ancient Egypt. And I thought, oh, this would be really fun to see how he reacts to it. He loves it. The only thing he says is that sometimes it's really hard to keep all the gods straight. Sure. Which I always felt like that with Percy Jackson too. There's so many gods, at least with Percy Jackson, you're more familiar with the gods and goddesses that they talk about. I didn't know much about Egyptian mythology either until I started reading this. I love Egyptian mythology. It's really interesting. Every time I read something new though, there's a god I'd never heard of. I mean, there are so many gods in that world. I have to say the problem with Egyptian mythology though, and doing it in middle school is there's some really ugly lines that you have to try to explain like wait a minute they're brother and sister and they're married Uh, I don't understand how that works and I'm like dude I don't understand how that works either it's weird yeah there's a lot of incest maybe if we were in West Virginia we'd understand (laughs) I shouldn't bust on West Virginia you know they have like the highest vaccination rate for COVID I know they're kicking butt and where are we in Massachusetts we're at 46 how is that possible especially when we made we have Moderna we made it anyway so the the other thing I want to say about this book and that's the the Red Pyramid the first in the Cain Chronicles is that rickreardon.com, if you go to his website, he has this amazing wealth of teacher resources that go along with it. And that is so huge. And there's a few writers that have kind of figured that out. And he's definitely one of them, especially when you're doing anything historical, when you're doing anything mythological, even vocabulary. If you want this book read in a classroom, make a solid pack of information that teacher can use. I don't have time to write a giant reading guide for my kid. And that's helpful for homeschooling too, because then it's all just right there and you can pick and choose what you want to focus on. Yeah. And this is a good one. It's a really good one. I would say, you know, for me, my my son's in seventh grade and he's a really strong reader. It's still taking him a lot longer than I wish it would. You know, like it's taken him a long time to kind of select through it because it's a really, it is a really big book. And he's not like a, he's not like one of those nerdy kind of kids like I wish he was that would just like sit down and read for two hours. And he's still like a crazy boy boy. But I would say definitely upper middle grade on that one. Cool. But it was great. I loved it. Loved it. All right. What was your second one? All right. My second one is Trident by Anne. And Sarah Horowitz. And this came out in 2019. I want to read this book so bad. And talk about judging a book by its cover. I love the cover. Just describe the cover. The cover is a 12-year-old boy standing on the edge of the sea with a trident, golden trident in his hand. And he's got his little goggles on and his little swim trunks. But he's like a skinny, gangly, nerdy little dude. Yep, he's awesome. And then Atlantis is sort of hovering behind him in the smoke and fog. It's very cool. Yeah, so this story is indie published, which we've sort of committed, Marie and I have committed to doing more indie published books this year because we know they're really hard to find and hard to um, learn about, you know, unless you're out searching for specifically for indie published books. So yeah, this one might not be on people's radar at all because of that. So this is about 12-year-old Richard, who is a swimmer, which is really cool because the author was an all-American swimmer in high school, and that comes out in great detail. Because I wouldn't know anything about swimming if I had to write about it. I know. That's why I thought I was like so cool because the details of the swimming stuff was so clear and fun because you don't really see a lot of middle grade books about swimming. So I thought that was great. Um, I'm not a big swimmer, but if it, you had a kid who was, this would be a fun book for them. So he has this big goal of becoming the youngest swimmer to qualify for the Junior Olympics in his um, area. At the beginning of the book, he's 
actually in the middle of a race and you find out that he's sort of losing his concentration and starting to lose. And he's like, it's really upsetting him. And part of the problem is because his goggles keep getting loose off of his face and falling down. Oh yeah. That of course would distract him and slow him down at the very start when he dives into the water. So part of the story is him getting these new goggles and the new goggles turn out to be (laughs) magical transporting goggles, (laughs) which is kind of funny. Same for me. Oh my God, that happened to me. I was going to snorkel and next thing you know, it's in Bermuda. I was like, wait a minute. I was on Cape Cod two minutes ago. Savesies. Okay. It happens. <laughs> so the goggles transport him to the lost city of Atlantis. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so he is thrown into this crazy adventure where he has to learn how to control the goggles, the magic in the goggles, which is tough enough. And then all these other things, you know, happen to him because he's not where he's knows what life is like. He's in the lost city of Atlantis. It's kind of cool because again, like in the last, in the serpent secret, there was a lot of science in that one. I honestly was thinking it could almost be like STEM-ish, you know, kind of a book. And the same thing in this one, he uses a lot of science to sort of help him survive. And then he also has a twin sister named Lucy. And through their sort of twin bond, she figures out where he is and then wills herself into the lost city of Atlantis too. Why does that not happen for me? I have willed myself so many places and still <laughs> I'm sitting here in a freaking blizzard. I'm going to try it. And when we get done, I'm going to pour a big glass of wine and I am going to will myself somewhere warm and sunny. And I'll let you know. I'll call you from there. I will myself all the time to Paris on the Champs-Élysées. It happens. I I figure when I'm old and senile, I've imagined myself during so many events where I didn't want to be at being in Paris instead that I will just remember that I was in Paris. Like I won't even remember my senile brain. I'll probably just remember, oh, remember that time I was in Paris? (laughs) Your poor son will be sitting there looking at you and like, what a delusional broad. (laughs) (laughs) At least mom's happy. Anyway, so the twins, so they're twins, which is, you know, that's a pretty old trope that sometimes stands out. Like you're not supposed to do twins so much anymore because it's been done so much, especially in middle grade. But ironically, there's more twins than ever in the world right now. And also the author is the mother of twins. So there you go. I give it to her. She owns it. I feel like it's legit. Yeah. And she like gets like the whole twin bond thing and everything, which I thought was kind of cool. And I thought if you were writing a book for, especially an indie published book, because you're probably writing it for your own kids, why not reflect your kids? Right. So there's twins and the twins are actually pretty badass. So it's all good. So in Atlantis, they get pulled into the war of generations. So they basically have to go start battling. They go from worrying about school and swim meets and all that kind of stuff to a battle in the lost city of Atlantis. So it's pretty crazy. And then also on top of it, oh, I should mention they're twins. Their names are Ricky and Lucy. Stop it. Because their mom was obsessed with I Love Lucy. That's funny. I know. And that's the, good. So the whole beginning of it is like their house is is full of I Love Lucy stuff. I thought that was kind of funny. And he refuses to go by Ricky because of that. So he makes everyone call him Richard. Please lighten up, kid. So for poor Richard, though, there's an ancient prophecy that predicts his death. As, as But that's the only way to save the world. Same. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh, sorry. God, that was my I wasn't supposed to tell anybody. Sorry. <laughs> so anyway, it was it was a good book. It was a quick read. 
It's not very long. It was fun. I thought it was pretty good. Where would you put it? Upper middle grade? Honestly, probably more in the middle. Like solid middle grade. Yes, solid middle grade. Again, like the character was acting a little bit older than like how a 12-year-old would actually act in real life. But I don't think that's bad for me. That's pretty normal for middle grade. So I think like a fifth, sixth grader, seventh grader would like it, you know. And I'm not sure my vibe on it. Like everything else we've read has been part of a series. Would you say that this has the potential to be part of a series or does it need to be? Because I don't always feel like it needs to be. I don't need to read any more of the Kane Chronicles. I really enjoyed one of them, but I don't like, I'm not invested in those characters enough. Right. Like I read a few Percy Jacksons because I was invested in Percy, but I don't know if I feel the same. You know what I mean? Like, what do you think? Okay. So I read a lot of YA and of course there's series in those too, especially in fantasy and mythology. But I'm sort of starting to be a fan of the standalone. Me too. But I get it. Okay, I get it from an author perspective. Because if you've invested all this time and effort in creating a world, especially a world in fantasy or mythology, that takes a lot of effort. I get it why you would want to just stay with it and stay with that character and keep doing more and more with that world. And I understand as a reader too, if you enjoyed that world, you want to keep reading more about it. However, sometimes it's nice to just read a book and be done with it. You know? Yeah. So I don't know if this author intends to do anymore, but I feel like this is a standalone book. Um, Now, The Serpent Secret, I don't think you would need to read any more of it unless you really wanted to. Say That's that's how I felt with The Red Pyramid too. I, I felt like Percy Jackson I, I needed more because right. there was so much world building that I wanted to know more about that world. The Red Pyramid is kind of like, okay, I'm good. It's going to go on and find more people that have the same kind of issues that these two kids have, being blood of pharaohs and stuff like that, and then s- sort of grow from there. But um, if I was really into it, if I was really into Egyptian mythology, then I might want to read that. But I, I'm okay. I got a good feeling of closure with that. Same with Charlie Hernandez. Yeah. I like that feeling of closure, even if there are more books in the series. I think that's really important. And I don't know what the deal is now where it's kind of was a trend for a while. I don't know if it still is where you had just one story, but you broke it up into a bunch of books. And I just think that's like ripping off your readers. It is. By making them buy a bunch of books. I've read some books now where it, they don't even end. It's just like mid-scene. Yes. And the big one, um, the one that we, we've talked about them before, the Edge of extinction. I I literally, it it frustrated me so bad that I stopped reading them because it was a to be continued. And I was like, this is not fair. I'm mad as a reader and I'm not reading the next one because you set me up to have no closure. And then the book didn't come out for like another year or something. And I was like, no, no, no. Most books are written in like three part acts, like a play would be anyway. And so that seems to be what they're doing now. They're taking like the first act and then that's the first book and the second act, but it's not a complete story on its own. And I don't think that's right. I think it's better to just have like, if you're going to have a series, each story is its own independent story and it has an ending. And then you just pick up somewhere else. Just take the same character into the next into a different adventure. And that's what I feel like these books all do. Yeah. That was awesome. Well, we had a lot. Those are some great ones. Yeah, that was fun. I love mythology stuff. It's so cool. I do too. And I'm so psyched to learn about other mythology. I love Greek mythology. We all know Greek mythology. We, a lot of us know a little bit about Egyptian and Roman and things like that. But to learn about absolutely new and exciting mythology, that's awesome. So should we take a short break and then come back with our pick six, which spoiler alert is going to be about myths. So 
So for today's pick six, we're going to take a look at our favorite myths from around the world. So you want to go first or am I going first? I'll go first. Well, first of all, I'm going to go with the easy one. I'm taking the cop out. I'm going to go <laughs> with one Greek, right? Okay. Yeah. And only because right now we are studying ancient Greece. So my kids and I have been reading and the little nugget, who's only seven, we got this really great. I've talked about them before. These books called Classic Starts. Um, it's a series and we've been reading this series of Greek mythology in Classic Starts. And then we're reading, we're also reading the Odyssey. I grew obsessed with the Odyssey because I lived in Turkey or on the Aegean and everything starts there. So then I became, you know, really obsessed with that. So my first one, I have got to choose uh, Medea because the other night we were reading Jason and the Argonauts and they paint this like rosy picture of him falling in love with Medea and how in the end, you know, he and Medea go back, go away and run away and have a family. And I was like, and that's where it ends. <laughs> I literally closed the book. I'm like, uh, uh, uh. and they're like, what? And I'm like, that is not where the story ends. P.S. <laughs> Let me tell you about Medea. Before I thought better of it, I start explaining the story of Medea and she, you know, Jason goes off and finds this young Hoochie and he decides that she's better and Medea's old and tired. And I'm like, well, she's old and tired because she's got two kids and she's working her butt off. And the kids are like wide eyed. They're like, my mom's gone crazy. So Medea's got these two kids, you know, and then so she decides that she's going to take, send a gift to Jason's new wife. And then it's a dress and the dress is poison. And then my little one looks and he's like, and the dress kills her. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, awesome. I'm like, you are as dark as your mother. I love it. <laughs> and then meanwhile, the older one is like, you guys scare me. <laughs> he's like, well, then what happens? And I'm like, well, she sets things in place. And she's like, hey, let me just say bye to the kids. And then as she says bye to the kids, she slits their throats and they die. And my son's like, why? I'm like, well, because if she can't have them, he can't have them. Duh. I have always loved this story. I am not because I would kill my children or anything. I just love like the darkness. I love any good story of revenge on the woman's side. And she's like, oh, you want to do me wrong? I got you that golden fleece. I took care of everything you needed and you somehow thought you could do better. Well, bully for you. I'll show you, girl. I will show you. And then I will get in my fiery chariot to hell. Thank you very much. I think one of the things about all the old myth gods that's so amazing is that they weren't just all good. They were good and bad. No, that's why I love this because there's darkness. They were more like real people. They, yeah, reacted in ways like real people would. Especially the Greeks. Well, the Norse did too. Did they? Give me a Nordic one. Yeah, of course. So you're going simple, easy the first time. So am I, because I'm going with Norse for my first one. Gosh, it was so hard for me to narrow this down because one of the things in Norse myths that I love so much are the troll stories because these trolls are always like these big dumb things and all you have to do is outsmart them. And there's always like great stories where there's the little kid who outsmarts the troll and it, they're just so cute. But I have to say, I'll probably go with Freya and uh, she's my favorite Norse god. She's the goddess of love. Thought that'd be appropriate this time of the year. Yes, there you go. Of course, I just killed children and you should definitely do the goddess of love. <laughs> it's, it's so on brand for us, but go on. Well, but you know, Freya is an interesting goddess of love. She's not like all love and sunshine because the one of the most interesting things about her is that she also has a hall, much like Odin has Valhalla. She has a uh, folk vengar. I don't know. I'm probably not saying that right, but folk vengar also takes in 
the slain. So on a battlefield, when Odin goes and collects the dead warriors and takes them to Valhalla, she also goes down and gets the half of the warriors and takes them to her hall. So she and Odin are kind of on equal standing, which is kind of interesting because he is the top of the food chain and the Norse gods. And she's right there along with him taking her warriors. So I thought that was kind of cool. And she's also, you know, into love poetry and all that kind of stuff and meddling in love affairs like most goddesses of love are. I think you get bored when you're a goddess. You know, you're beautiful. Everything's easy. So of course you want to meddle in other affairs. I'm good. I'm down. I get it. Right. And she's got her own like line of divinity, the veneer, which are all these little gods and goddesses. And she's like the head of them. She basically is on par with Odin in a lot of the stories, which is kind of cool. I think that's interesting because he's like the warrior god and she's like the god of love. So that's kind of interesting how those would sort of be set like yin and yang, you know, it's kind of cool. So um, that was my first one. Okay. What else you got for me? I want to go, I'm going to save my best one for last because it's my favorite. So when I was in Turkey, when I was learning Turkish, we learned a lot of Turkaic mythology. And I just learned, Erlik Khan was the one I was looking up last night. I am now yelling across my to the room to my husband. I'm like, can you re- like remind me this whole Erlik Khan? who's like the, the Lord of the underworld, right? And he's like, I have no idea what that is. And I was like, but what? Because no, that's not Turkish. And I'm like, but it is. Well, P.S. It's Mongolian when it comes from a Turkic origins, but not a, not Turkey. So I Googled it and I looked it up and I found this. So basically Mongay Tengri, and I am so sorry because my Mongolian is not great, obviously. P.S. Mongolia has amazing stories. They, They have amazing origin stories, myths, everything. But you have to remember, we're talking like, that's like the boys, Genghis Khan and the boys are coming out of that. So there's some good darkness there. They have so many great stories, like being able to fight from the horseback. Uh, oh, yes. And how they would cut their children's cheeks in order to make sure they're strong. Uh, it's awesome. So anyway, I found this great one and this does have Erlik Khan in it. So Mange Tengri was the, he was the creator god, like the god of humanity, right? And he decided to make a man and a woman. Okay, he was the sky god. He's going to make a man and a woman. He covered them all in hair and he left them under the watch of a cat and a dog and he said, protect them. I'm going to go to the uh, font of immortality the spring of immortality and I'm going to get some water for them and I'm going to come back and I'm going to give it to my hairy humans and then humanity will live forever well of course enter Erlik Khan Erlik Khan is is the obviously the mortal enemy of the sky god the god of the underworld they're going to be mortal enemies he distracts the cat with a bowl of milk he distracts the dog with a piece of meat and then polluted both of them the hairy humans with impurities so when Mange Tengri comes back he's like yo what happened where my cat and where's the dog and what happen and now he sees that they are impure. So he punishes the animals by making the cat lick all the hair off except for their heads. This is like a great story, right? (laughs) So because the hair on your head, their heads was not impure. Oh. So therefore, that's why he left it there. And then he tried to uh, wash the humans with the water he brought back, but it didn't work because they were already impure. So instead, he's just said, okay, fine. Why don't you just go out and populate the earth? Now you're not hairy people. You're just hairy heads because you're going to die because I couldn't wash you with water from immortality. So now you're going to die. So you might as well just make more of yourself. (laughs) Be gone. And that's it. That's literally the story. And I'm like, this is awesome. I love it. And that's why cats lick hair because that's what they had to do at the very beginning. That's hilarious. Oh, I forgot to tell you too, Freya's uh, chariot is pulled by cats. See, that's nice. Any goddess that hooks to cats, she's the girl for me because cats are mean and that's why it's good. (laughs) 
I love, I love it. All right. Give me your next one. So my middle one is an Arabic and Islamic mythology and it's the jinn or the genie, as we would say here. I like the real, like if you go back and read the like stories before, like the American version of a genie in a bottle and all that kind of stuff, which by the way, I always loved. I dream of genie. That was one of my favorite TV shows when I was a kid, but the real gins are so cool because they can take over like a human body or take the form of a human or take the form of animals. But I think it's cool how they can possess humans. And there was a TV show on Netflix, which I don't, I hope it's still there. But it is, and I thought it was set in Turkey because I thought I was telling you about this. There's a ton of them that are coming out of Turkey right now on Netflix. Yeah, and they're good. But it was basically a wise story about all these kids were like partying in the desert. And then somehow this gin gets released from a cave and he takes over the body of one of the teenagers. And then he, of course, has this big romance with the girl and it goes on this whole thing and things are trying to get him. And it was so good. And it was called Jin, J-I-N-N. It was such a fun story. I find that all that fascinating. And just like the involvement of like sand and the swirling sand and how that is like how the gin moves about and stuff. I just think that's so fascinating. My husband's grandmother, whenever something happened, you blamed it on that. Really? On the gin? It must be the gin. Yeah, must be the gin did it. That's cool. All right. My favorite one, it's a, it's a Turkish one. Uh, it's a Turkish legend, myth, folktale, whatever you want to call it. And it is the Sarkis. And Sarkis is the most beautiful woman in the mountains. And she is so beautiful that everyone wants to uh, I should clarify, Sarkis means blonde. She says she's a blonde. Okay. Which already stands out, right? Right. There are no blondes. There are, you know, very few blondes in Turkey. Natural blondes. There's a lot of bleach blondes in Turkey and it's not a good look. P.S. Because you still have those big old Turkish eyebrows. (laughs) (laughs) When I spent time in Egypt, yeah, my blonde hair was... Yeah, right. It stood out. That was like my pasty white skin. They'd be like, you kind of look like you could be one of us, but you kind of don't. <laughs> and then you really, yeah, there's a lot of Irish people there. So anyway, um, Sarkis was uh, so beautiful that everyone wanted to marry her, but her father wasn't quite sure. And so when he was gone out of the village on a trek, she decided that she wasn't going to marry any, didn't want to marry these men. So they concocted this horrible story that she was basically a hoochie. You know, we're still talking about an Islamic culture. So she would need to be killed because she was a hoochie. And she swore to her father that that wasn't true, that these are the men because she didn't want to marry them and blah, blah, blah. So typical, right? Like not a shocking story. Right. So her father took her up to the uh, Baba Tepe, which is like the, the father's peak, right? And he said, I- I'll leave you here and I, I won't kill you, but I'll just leave you here to die. That'll make me feel better. Well, of course she didn't die because sisters are doing it for themselves and she adapted and she would when uh, travelers would come through wanderers who were lost, she would tell them where to go. She, you know, like made her life on top of this mountain. This beautiful sarcasm ended up making a beautiful life for herself all alone on top of a mountain. She became a goose farmer everything was wonderful and now that's where she lived forever and ever and made everything like lived a happy beautiful life without any men girl (laughs) you know it's a good one sisters are doing it for themselves i love those stories i love those stories of course it's a folktale because it's a very like uh male-centric masculine society so the fact that this woman was like well fine you can take me up there and let so i will die on the top of the mountain but instead i will become a survivor i will become a goose farmer i will help the people as they need it and yeah i'm gonna just live up there and live my best life you know that's the other thing i really like about these old mythology stories because you can almost 
just imagine them based on like a real story of a real person at some point yeah. in time. And, and then they've just gotten sort of exaggerated and romanticized. All right. What's your last one? Mine's an Egyptian one um, for my last one because I love Egypt. Egyptian mythology is hardcore PS. And there's just so much you can always be learning it. It's so cool. And this isn't about a specific person um, or God, but it is um, about the Book of the Dead. Oh, yeah. So the Book of the Dead was um, something that ancient Egyptians would commission to be put into their tombs. And it had spells in it and different things to help you cross over. So it had a lot of actual rituals and stuff in it, too, which were pretty cool. All of them were different, but there is like one famous Book of the Dead that has survived. It's a big scroll of papyrus that's super long and you can see it. I don't know if it's in the Egyptian Museum or the British Museum, but it's available to look at too, which is really, it's cool. But within the Book of the Dead, there is a spell and it's a story about what happens to you when before you cross over into the, it used to be, originally it was like the underworld and then it kind of evolved into into the sky of, in later um, stories. But uh, the ritual is called the weighing of the heart, which is so cool. So basically when you die, you're judged. Basically, okay, so Anubis comes and gets you and he presents you to Osiris and you are supposed to um, confess like they had a list of sins. Um, some people say it's like 42 sins and you were supposed to give a negative confession. So basically you would go through that list of sins and be like, I have never done this. I have never done that. I have never done any, you know, any of these things because right, you were right, supposed right. to prove that your heart was pure and that you were a good person. And then what would happen after you've confessed to never doing any of these sins is that they would weigh your heart on a scale against the goddess Met. And she is the, who was supposed to be truth and justice. And she was basically represented by a feather. So your heart is weighed against a feather. And then at this point, what could happen is if you lied about never having done these things, your heart could betray you. Except that there are spells that you could put on your heart so that your heart doesn't betray you. And that was buried with you in the Book of the Dead. Yes. And so there is this sort of weird thing where you might be able to get into the world of the gods if you have enough magical power to keep your heart from betraying you. Or you could just be a good person and then you would get into the gods. Oh, please. It's much easier to do the spell. But if your heart does betray you, the cool part is then you get eaten up by Amit, who is part crocodile, part lion, part hippo. That's my son's favorite character of all of Egyptian mythology. Just love that story. I think it's pretty cool to the idea of putting your heart on a scale to see where you stand. They talk about that in the Red Pyramid. Oh, it's in the Red Pyramid too. Oh, cool. Yeah, it is because she has to get the feather to save the Oh. Mott's going to let her have it, but she has to con Anubis into Anubis is her crush because, you know, why not? I have to say one other thing though. Yesterday, speaking of mythology, my little nugget wasn't feeling so good. I said, well, why don't we watch a movie? And we ended up watching the live action Dora the Explorer movie. <laughs> it, it is Dora the Explorer and the Search for the City of Gold. And it is all based on Mayan uh, mythology. It is so good. And it's so funny because they, they mock Dora all the time because she'll be like, can you say? And her parents are like, why does she always do that? Who is she talking to? Like <laughs> Everybody like mocks her and she goes to she goes to live with Diego who like, but now they're teenagers and Diego's like a normal teenager in Los Angeles and Dora's still Dora. And she's like, why are you such a freak? And she's always like, I'm not 
a freak? Let's dance like a pigeon or something. And it's hilarious. But then they get like, they end up going searching Diego and Dora. And then like as teenagers with these other two American kids, it's a great movie. I have to say it was a great movie. And the mythology is really hardcore in there. And this great Mayan mythology is so interesting. Oh, Mayan mythology is so good too. I didn't even think about digging into that. You don't have to, you just have to watch the Dora movie. Even the Nugget was like, why are we watching this? And why is it so good? I'm like, right? It's very lighthearted. Like the way that they did it was really lighthearted and it very self-mocking, which I thought was perfect because Dora is corny and Dora is a hot mess. And when she goes to like figure out how life works. Anyway, if you want a little more mythology, check out the Dora the Explorer movie. So that was awesome. And everybody has things to go read. Now that it's still cold and yucky, if you're like us and you're getting a snowstorm, go. Curl up with a good book. Right. You can even buy it online or whatever you need. Or listen to it. I listened to part of the Serpent Secret book and it's it's narrated by the author and I thought she did a really good job. It was fun. I prefer them when they're narrated by the author most of the time. Because I I mean, I want to know your voice. I'm literally reading your voice. That's a good point. So, all right, what's next? Uh, We're going to be looking at American myths and folklore for the next episode. So what are you going to be sharing with us, Margie? You know, I love Bigfoot. I love me some Sasquatch like nobody's business. So I'm going to be talking about Lemons by Melissa Savage. And I got a new one that I've just started and I'm madly in love with it. And it's called Evangeline of the Bayou by Jan Eldridge. And it's really interesting. And it looks at some sort of really cool American folklore. Ooh. What do you got? I've got Elatso by Darcy Little Badger. And that is a Native American story. Oh, cool. So I cannot wait to read that one. And then I also have... Amari and the Knight Brothers by Alston. And that is a African-American main character. And she looks like a real badass. I can't wait. Okay, so I guess that's it for us this time. If you want to join us twice a month for Kidlet Discussions, please subscribe to our podcast through any of the places you get your podcasts. And if you want to know what's happening in our world and you want to see the snow, because that's what I post a lot of pictures of. (laughs) I post a lot of pictures of it snowing because that's what we do. (laughs) You can follow us on Two Lit Mamas podcast on Instagram, or you can find us on Two Lit Mamas on Facebook. And of course, on our website, www.tulipmamas.com. Great. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.